Hey everybody, I'm Tom Corbett. And I'm Justin St. Louis. And this is Uncommon Deeds. Welcome, everybody. Hey, hey. I am, in fact, Tom Corbett, and this man is the Johnny Utah to my Bodhisattva. Wow. Finally, we got one of those in there. Yes. What's up, man? Not much. You're looking a little sunburned today. A little bit. Yeah? A little bit. Yeah, just in the facial region. In the, yeah. In the in nose, the cheek, The cheek and nose area. Yeah, it's for here. Uh, those that don't know, all the years Justin and I had calling races together, I hit a good stretch where it was probably like 30 races in a row where I compared us to some kind of duo mm-hmm. at the beginning of every race. And 30 races means a period of like three to four years. Yeah, it was like three yeah. seasons. It Top started to get gun. stressful towards the end, and I'm like Googling. <laughs> Obscure duos, because <laughs> I didn't want to do the obvious ones. Yeah. I And I never let Justin know ahead of time who I was No, doing. and I didn't even know half the references. Did you get this reference? No. I mean, Johnny Utah. I've heard of Johnny Utah. Point Break. Yeah, I had never seen it. But, you know, if you... I if am you've judging listened, you. I, am I know, judging. and that's fine. And most people will. And my wife does it all the time. Like, if you listen to The Buzz in Burlington which I used to, they have or had, I don't even know, a DJ named Johnny Utah, and they'd always play the Johnny Utah clips from Point Break. That's the extent Johnny of my knowledge. Utah. Yeah, yeah, you play that every... Yeah. My name's so, Johnny Utah. Who cares? My, yeah, wife, my wife is the same. She is not a... was never a movie person, and I grew up on a mountain in Woodbury. Yeah. <laughs> for a lot of which, we didn't have, like, satellite or anything. And I was a movie person, and for a great stretch of my childhood, I was, you know, kind of like an only child. Love my sister very much, but surprisingly, like a sixteen-year-old girl doesn't necessarily want to hang out with her eleven-year-old brother. And me and my sister became very, very close, especially after I got back from like college, when we were like, "Oh, we're both kind of adults, and let's hang out playing Tomb Raider." <laughs> As yeah. adults do. There you go. On the, on the floor. Uh, but the random movie trivia in my head is just worthless and fantastic all at the same time. No, I respect it. I do. Point Break is just, you can sell Point Break in six words. Ready? Give them to me. Keanu. Done. Swayze. All right. Busey. Getting closer. Surfing bank robbers. <laughs> Add me a Busey. It's just, <laughs> it is so good. If I could give Man. you homework this week, it would be for you to watch Point Break. To watch Point Break. But, All right. and I thought of it, there's, there's a, because this is peak, peak Swayze. He is a god in this. He's got like bleach tip, mullet. Just flowing. Yeah. I can visualize it. And he has a, a stretch in here 
where he's given this speech towards the end of the movie. And I was like, man, we should have just played that for our trailer for this podcast. Cause it almost <laughs> and just that nothing else. Just that. Do you want to hear it? Do you have it queued up? I have it queued up for you. Yes. Wow. Here it is. You did research this. I did. Wow. Do it. This was never about money for us. It was about us against the system. That system that kills the human spirit. We stand for something. To those dead souls inching along the freeways in their metal coffins, we show them that the human spirit is still alive. That is this podcast, if I've ever heard it in a Patrick Swayze line. That's inspirational. (laughs) If I can't get you to watch Point Break off of that, then... I'm I'm going to Blockbuster right now. Don't don't mock me. <laughs> that was one of the best movies of 1991. Yeah, sure was. Anywho, <laughs> now that, that tangent's done. Now we got that out of the way. If anybody else wants to talk, Point Break, send me a message. <laughs> send me a message on the uh, on the Facebook page. I will talk Point Break all day. All day. Many, many facts and random tidbits. I listen to a lot of movie podcasts. What did Gary Busey do in that movie? He was a cop. Yeah, he would be a cop. Yep. All right. A little bit of a loose cannon. Yeah, that sounds exactly right. Anyway, as this (laughs) podcast is coming out today, on Friday, the 20... Yeah, 30th. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Friday as we're recording it. No, no. This is not live. Yeah. Uh, the 30th, it is opening weekend yeah. around a lot of New England, mainly being Devil's Bowl for you. Yep. And Thunder Road on Sunday. Yep. Exciting times. And uh, as soon as we're done recording this, it's, it's uh, what's today, Tuesday that we're doing this right now? Yeah. I'll be I'll be doing three hours worth of work tonight, getting ready for Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. It's going to rain, or it's supposed to rain, and that means I'm going to stress right out and be putting banners up at two o'clock in the morning, just like the first year that we had Devil's Ball. But that's all right. That cause is it kind of it all comes together, and the way that things are looking this year. I'll take one day of stress putting up banners at two in the morning to have what I think is going to be a, an amazing year, honestly. And yeah, I'm on the payroll, so I have to say that, but just look at the driver rosters and stuff and yeah, you'll, you, you guys know what's going on, but it's going to be a good year. I'm really excited. And, uh, knock on wood weekend weather is looking all right after yeah. a couple yeah, of rainy racing, days, the next few days. Yeah. We're racing Saturday and it's supposed to be really nice. Maybe a little bit chilly at night, but um, we're going to start, I think, 6 o'clock. We we're supposed to start at 7. We're going to start at 6, move it ahead so that we're done a little bit earlier, get people out of there. And then um, the weather's looking better for Thunder Road on Sunday, too, so that's that's good. And as we head into opening weekend, we wanted to talk to a current driver at Thunder Road. Mm, I guess so. And there's not really a... <laughs> A better one to talk to, I think, after the 
last few years than Jason Corliss. The reigning king of the road. Um, and yeah, if you were listening last week, then you noticed that we called me out on calling him our first current driver. And then didn't Nick Sweet go out and win a feature at Oxford last weekend just to make me put my foot further into my mouth. But uh, I mean, yeah, Corliss just, he does the damn thing. He's, he is a wheelman and he is confident and he knows that he's going to win the race before he gets there. And then he goes out and wins the race. Uh, the kid's good. And as far as Thunder Road is considered, he is the, the prototype that they would point to of, you know, the ladder system and working your way up through the divisions. And yep, to say he came from humble beginnings in the street stocks, he'll, uh, he'll explain to you is probably uh, generous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and look at the, uh, the graphic that goes along with this week's show that, uh, that little red Mustang that's, that's there. Uh, that thing, you don't have to zoom in very close to see that it's not a nice piece. <laughs> that car was, uh, you know, that was a rattle trap and they made the most of it with nothing. And like Tom said, I, don't, I mean, I don't want to give anything away here, but, um, you'll, you'll hear how they got to the racetrack and you'll probably remember it. Some of you fans, you know, seeing that the hauler that they had, and I use the term hauler very loosely, um, this is a low buck. It was a no buck operation. You know, he, he absolutely has squeezed every drop out of every opportunity that he's had. And absolutely. now he is, he's, he's going to go down as, as one of the all time greats at Thunder Road. He is already knocking on the door of some of the records at you know, 33 years old. Yeah. Right. You know, and, uh, guys like, Dave Pembroke and Chris Mashad and Eric Williams and that generation just before Jason came along set a pretty high bar and, you know, no disrespect to them at all. I think he's cleared that bar in a very short amount of time, shorter, shorter amount of time than they were, than they were able to, to put their records together. And those guys are legends. He has got a lot on his plate and, that family might be getting a little bigger. You'll have to listen I, to the podcast hmm, to find out. It's foreshadowing. But without further ado, it is time for Justin to introduce today's guest. Our first current driver joins us tonight, and he is uh, building a case to be one of the all-time greats in Northeastern late model racing, at least here in Vermont. He's a three-time Milk Bowl champion, king of the road, and he's won just about everything else in between. Uh, Jason Corliss, welcome to Uncommon Deeds. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. I feel like we should get some credit because very early on you shared your uh, Milk Bowl secret with us, your superstition secret. We never spilled the secret over the radio. Yeah, that's key. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I don't even remember what it is, so how about that? <laughs> I wish there was a secret. <laughs> The only thing, honestly, I know you've won the race and all that, but the only thing, the first thing, I guess, that I think about when I think about Jason Corliss and Milk Bowl is the sticker that uh, Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay Burnett put on the car that said, hashtag suck the udder. And now it's the only thing I think about when I think about you racing at the Milk Bowl. Yeah, thankfully that didn't actually come to fruition, but we did win the race that year. You did. So it was- put some added pressure on yeah 
Yeah, it would have gone weird, really too weird if that happened. But uh, it was cool to win the race again. That was for sure. <laughs> so, man, um, it's weird to say this, but you've been at this for 15 years already, um, at least as a driver and, and longer than that. And somehow along the way, you've you've put your name on, I think, every one of those granite monoliths out at Thunder Road. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a crazy ride. And, uh, you know, like you alluded to, you know, 15 years. I mean, that's almost half my life right now. You know, I'm, I'm almost 33. So yeah, I've been racing, driving for half of my life. And racing has been a part of my life for my entire life. Um it's uh it's been a pretty uh pretty special ride and and i know there's been a lot of people that have uh that have raced a lot longer than i have um and, and haven't been able to uh, uh you know win some of the big races that we've been able to win in in our kind of short amount of time at least in late model ranks so um definitely fortunate and and very thankful for for all of that well let's let's take you from the beginning then yeah um you know it it all started out just you know, being a kid who um, you had a father who who loved motorsports, um, loved racing. Um, my father was very passionate about the sport and very knowledgeable about the sport as as far as um, you know the, the players. And you know, he used to go as a kid all the time. Um, you know, to Bear Ridge and to Thunder Road. Um, you know, his grandfather, my great grandfather, actually helped build Bear Ridge um, and never missed a day basically up until he had health issues and ultimately passed away. Really? Um, so, you know, motorsports has been kind of ingrained in, in, you know, our kind of our DNA. Um, and I just remember as a kid, you know, going, going to races with dad or, or going in the, in the stands and watching cars that dad would, would help with, um, you know, and I remember being out in the, in the, in the yard, you know, dad would take a break from mowing lawn or, or whatever. And, he'd kind of sit out next to the car in the car and, and listen to Dave Moody's uh, um, radio show. He used to always do um, once a week and talk about all the drama from, from the week before at Thunder road. And I remember kind of hanging out with dad and listening to that and just a lot of fun memories. And, you know, we, we had, uh, we were next door neighbors with, um, with the Potter family, um, Potter and, and his boys, um, Tim and Tim and Matt, and they always raced, you know, at a young age, um, he had got them into go-karts and he was the same way. He was heavily into, into motorsports. Um, and his brother, uh, Mike raced, um, and, and now still does. Um, so I remember as a kid, you know, being best friends with, with the Potter boys and, you know, kind of hanging around them as they raced go-karts and, and we never really had that opportunity as a young child, you know, just, you know, as the youngest three kids, you know, we just, um, we didn't, that wasn't in the cards for us. You know, I, I financially just couldn't, we couldn't do go-karts. It just wasn't a possibility. So, you know, I just hung around them and, and, you know, I think at an early age that, that fueled a lot of passion and desire for me to, to want to race. You know, at the time I didn't know I actually wanted to drive or get into racing, but I love the sport and, and kind of watching them and, and their progression through, you know, the tigers and or street socks and tigers and, um, you know, that, that helped, I think, you know, give me a lot of uh, drive to, to eventually, once I started actually getting into the sport, um, you know, to um, have that, that drive, that hunger um, to really go after it. So, yeah, my father, he, uh, 
he started working on some crews. Um, he started uh, because of Jeff Potter, basically started helping on uh, Chris Michaud's crew um, at a, when Chris was first starting out in, in late models. You know, so Chris at, a, at an early, um, a early late model career um, wasn't very good, um, didn't have very good equipment. Um, and so I remember as a young kid, you know, just sitting in the grandstands um, and watching, just watching Chris, because um, that was the car dad helped with. And then, you know, I remember going as a young kid to the shop and just kind of hanging around a little bit. Um, and so I think that ultimately, too, helped me um, and helped my racing career from an early point. Um, just because I was able to firsthand kind of watch Chris's progression um, from, you know, not running very well, um, you know, in the late models to ultimately, you know, becoming very successful and becoming a champion and having a lot of speed. Um, so I think that was key, um, I think, for, for me and, and some of my, uh, my future success. How old are you at this point? Uh, I'll be 33 next month. No, no, no. Back then. Back then. Uh, so when dad started uh, working on Chris's car, I was probably, boy, I don't know, maybe 10, 11, 12, that range. Um, I do remember, um, you know, so this carried on for a while. My sister actually got involved and was was heavily into the team and, and helping out. Um, so it was a family affair. You know, my, my sister and my father would come back from the races. And of course, I wasn't old enough to be in the pits yet, but they'd come back and they'd be talking about all the drama of, of what was going on in the pits. And it was just like a full-time thing in our household. It was just uh, between that and, you know, watching the NASCAR races on Sunday, it just was, it was a prominent thing in our house. Um, and so, um, you know, we got to the point where um, I got to be old enough to actually get, go in the pits. Um, so ultimately, you know, that's, that's what I did. I went in and, and helped dad and helped my sister and worked on, on Chris's late model, um, which, which was huge. You know, that was a big, a, a big step, um, you know, to be able to watch it firsthand, get my hands on the car, you know, obviously for a year, bunch of years, you know, I wasn't very mechanical and still, you probably ask a lot of guys in the crew, I'm probably not very mechanical still now, but, um, you know, I did, you know, simple things on the car and, and, and that was big. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, we eventually got to a point where, I think I was 15 years old and Chris had, had, you know, he had already won a track championship um, with Mac Oslamp being the crew chief. And, and I was still really young at that time, but we got to a point where in 2014, uh, Chris actually had teamed up with Jeff LeCare um, and, and they built a brand new race car and the car was in uh, Jeff LeCare shop in Montpelier. And that was a big experience for me. Um, you know, I was only in that, that particular team for a year. Um, and I was still very young at the time, but just to see, you know, even as a young kid, how, how Jeff went about preparing a race car and, and organizing a race team and just the way he went about it and the way Chris handled himself in that situation. And, and with all the success, I think that was, that was big. That was big that, for me. Uh, that's 2004, some, right? That way. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. 2004. Yep. Um, and so ultimately, um, the next year, 2005, is when I decided that I wanted to try it myself um, and go into street stocks. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how, how it all kind of began before I started driving. And, uh, you know, a lot of those experiences, um, again, they just uh, put a lot of drive, I think, and passion um, in it for me. And I'm, I'm a big competitor. And so to, uh, 
you know, to finally get behind the wheel, it, you know, it, it, I kind of had a lot of, a lot of that passion going for racing, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, competitiveness, um, that, you know, I wanted to kind of get out and it was a good outlet for that. So I um, felt it was a good time to, to get behind the wheel. Jeff has come up a few times, especially in the, when we talked to Tracy, tell us a little bit just about the cultural difference when you step into a Jeff LeCare shop than maybe anywhere else. Yeah. Jeff shop. You got to think of it as if you're walking into like a cup shop. So if you're walking into a cup shop, you know, NASCAR cup series shop, you're not going to walk in with muddy boots. You're not going to walk in, you know, you're going to expect it to be clean and organized. And that's exactly what Jeff shops like. It is very organized very clean. Everything's set, you know, organized a certain way. Um, he just, he's very particular and, and that's a great thing, especially when you're working on race car and you're looking for, um, uh, you're looking to repeat, uh, set up some repeat success week after week. Um, and yeah, so I've got a lot of respect for Jeff. Um, you know, obviously knowing Jeff a little bit and, and, just spending that one year in his shop. I mean, that was just a, a really big experience for me. And I'm very lucky. And there's not many people that have been able to experience that type of environment. And it wasn't always easy. You know, Jeff was, uh, Jeff was tough, you know, on, on the guys and tough on himself and, and because he wanted to win and, and that's what it took. And, and that's what they did, you know, in 2004. And then even when I went street slot racing in 2005, um, they went back to back and, and won two straight championships. So, um, yeah, I got a lot of respect for him and, and uh, the way he, he runs an operation for sure. So you, when you got your street stock in 05, you were just, you, you, that's what you did and you weren't hanging around Jeff's shop at all. No, 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 not at all. I, I just kind of, we just kind of moved on and, and did our own thing. Um, was your, was your dad still involved or, or no? Nope. He, uh, you know, he, he, he with me, um, you know, he kind of, he'd been around for a long time and it kind of had gotten to a point where um, I think he was ready for a change and he was kind of burnt out on the, on the late model deal and, in you know, some of the drama that can come along with the, the late model pits, especially kind of at that time. So um, and you know, it was, it was a new challenge. It was a new thing, you know, and quite frankly, if I wanted to go street sock racing, there's no way in hell I was going to be able to do it without him. Um, you know, and, and so yeah, 2005, we decided to go street sock racing and it wasn't easy because, um, you know, my parents helped, um, as much as they could, but ultimately I was going into this like completely unprepared with no money. Um, it's just a dream, you know, basically the way it should start. Yeah. It was a pipe dream basically, you know? And, and so how it all started was, um, I had a good friend that I went to school with at Twinfield, um, by the name of Josh Carter. He raced a couple of years at Thunder Road. He raced over at Groveton. And so I go and hung out with him and helped him with his race car. And again, it was one of those experiences where I didn't have the means to do it. Love the rate, love the sport. And my friend was doing it. So I went tagged along and helped them out. Um, and so they were building, they were building a new car for Josh, um, and his father, Tom Carter, who also raced at, uh, Thunder Road Street Stocks. He's raced dwarf cars. He's raced drag cars. He's done, he's done it all. I raced with him. Um, yeah. Tom was, uh, he was also, I think racing a little bit, but they, uh, so they're building a new car for Josh and they had Josh's old, uh, street stock from, uh, from Groveton. 
and he knew I was interested and I was helping work in his machine shop with, with his son, Josh, um, during the summers. And so we got talking a little bit and he said, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll sell you this, this old street stock that we've got. And, uh, I think I bought it for like 1400 bucks, you know, something stupid, cheap and easy and, you know, put a little money in his pocket to go towards the new car and got me a race car. So that's what we were going to do. Um, I had no, hardly any money. I barely had $1,400. I could, you know, come up with to, to get this race car. I had no trailer. I had no tools. I had no garage. I got nothing. Um, and so we're working on the car one night, uh, preparing it in his, uh, in his garage. We put the thing up on jack stands to start working on it. And sure as shit, the, uh, the jack stand goes right straight through the frame rail. Just fuck. Well, there goes that dream, you know, I love those Mustangs. Fuck, what are we going to do? You know? And, and so he says, well, we can, I can either give you your money back or I've got another chassis. I got a, I got a Mustang chassis that I've ripped everything out of, but it's sitting up there. It's sitting behind the shop. It was on freaking stumps. The, the, the front before where the K frame bolts in. So, you know, it, it's okay. But before the K frames, I mean, the thing had more curves than a Kardashian, I think. I mean, it, it's fucking unbelievable. And so I'm looking at this thing and I go, fuck, I, is this, is this even worth it? He goes, ah, we'll, we'll, we'll put it together and get Lake good for you. Like, All right, let's go. I want to go racing. Let's do it. So we spent, I think it was like a weekend. Not even, you know, we, we swapped everything over onto this other chassis and that was it. You know, we, we went racing. Um, we even got it together and uh, we didn't even have a trailer to get to the first practice. And Tom had put so much work in to get this thing going for me. He's, he drove from Marshfield to drop his son's car off, turned around from Thunder Road, went back to his house, picked up my car, brought it to the racetrack so I could practice that first practice day. Yeah. I mean, literally I had nothing. Um, and so you know, we, we slowly built from there. You know, I went and I think we bought a, a tow dolly and that's what we used. I think for two, at least two years, we, we towed in on a tow dolly and, and that's how it all began. You know, it's, it's, it's how a lot of people get their start and, and there's no shame in it. You do what you can with what you have and you make the most of it. And, and the best part is it doesn't matter if you're hauling in with a, with a toter and a stacker, or if you're hauling in on a tow dolly, you know, I mean, the passion's still the same for, for those guys and, and, both those guys are going out there giving it all their all. And, and um, it's just how we had to do it. And we made it work for us. It's interesting. And you mentioned it before you are Jason Corliss from Barry, Vermont every week. And Barry gets this huge roar when their drivers are there, but I've never seen so much kickback as there is with you with people from Marshfield and Plainfield who want to yeah. say, no, He's, He's a twin weird. field kid. You're right. Basketball stuff. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's uh, yeah. It's where I grew up. You know, I grew up uh, until I was eight, 19 or so in, in Plainfield. And that's, you know, Barry's the next town over. So it's uh, you know, it's still central Vermont, but yeah, no, it's uh, you're absolutely right. It is funny to, um, you know, when I go back around town and talk to some of the people still from Plainfield, Marshfield, they, uh, they definitely bring it up, you know, especially when the, you know, Time Jogger's articles come out and they call me Barry and miss, you know, all the stuff from Barry. But, you know, it's no matter what I do, you know, Nick Sweet's still always going to be the king of Barry. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. And I've accepted that. That's fine. You know, he's the true, he's the true Barry guy and he, he can have it. <laughs> he could be the, the king of Twinfield then. 
Yeah, right. Whatever. <laughs> but the Potter boys were there first, so they were absolutely were. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and also, if you talk to some of these fine people, they will say that Jason Corliss is probably the best basketball player behind a steering wheel at Thunder Road. Is that true? I was very passionate uh, when it came to basketball. Um, now, the best, I, I definitely would argue, argue that. Um, but, you know, it, it was the same thing that I, I do with racing. You know, it's it's just every time I got on the floor or get behind the wheel, um, you know, just get this other – you get into this other zone, you know, and then it's, it's game time and – 100% focus and 100% de- to determination to try to get the job done. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of uh, a lot of fond memories from from my basketball years um, back at Twinfield, you know. And and, and it's uh, it's another one of those things that I think helped my racing career. You know, a lot of those intense moments on the basketball court and those pressure moments in in um, the team aspect and in you know being the guy that wanted the ball in their hands at the at the final seconds. I mean, all of that I think directly relates to some of the pressure and, and uh, you know things that you go through uh, with a race team or in a race car. So um, you know you, you just try to take all these experiences, life experiences that you have, um, and try to use them to your advantage. And, and you know, thankfully I've had some good ones that I think have helped my my racing career. And another kind of interesting comparison is the fact that you're racing at Thunder Road where most will say it's the best crowd you can be in front of in New England, but also getting to play, and I know this being a Hazen kid, in front of a jam-packed small Division three, Division four school, and Twinfield is more passionate about basketball than just about any other town. It gives you that kind of unique aspect where you've been in these great atmospheres. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just remember the days back when you get two small communities together, like, uh, you know, Twinfield and Cabot, you know, that was, we were arch rivals and you get this small gym packed full, I mean, packed full of people and they're all making noise as loud as they can cheering on their team and cheering on their boys or girls. And, uh, you know, yeah, those are the pressure moments that I'm talking about, you know, and having all that energy and excitement, um, surrounded you. And, and yeah, it, it's, it's kind of the same on a Thursday night, you know, when you're, you're doing driver introductions and people are, you know, you know, packed in the Thunder Road and, and screaming and yelling and hooting and hollering. And yeah, it's a bigger scale, but, you know, part of me feels like I've already been there and you know, I've already done that, especially when I was first to kind of start now. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it's definitely kind of definitely relates for sure. And on kind of twisting off of that last year, could you tell the difference when there's no fans in the stands, when you head out for, you know, the feature. Yeah. When you first pull onto the track and you're kind of warming up your tires and just kind of, you know, getting situated, um, you definitely know and notice that there's nobody there, but it has zero effect over um, the show. Um, Because if we're focusing on the crowd while we're trying to get, you know, trying to race, bad things are going to happen. Um, you're going to wreck, uh, you're going to lose focus. And it takes so much focus and concentration uh, to perform at a, at a top level at any racetrack um, that that's what you have to focus on hundred percent. So um, I think that was, that's the nice part about racing is when the helmet goes on, you just kind of get into this other world um, where you have to focus 110%. You, you just kind of stop thinking about, the outside world a little bit and, and you don't even notice the fans um, until you're out of the car really. Um, 
or on the wave off lap or something, you know, we were trying to acknowledge them. But, um, but that was what's nice for, for the fans at home that were be able to stream the races is they were watching the same product as if they were going to be sitting there. It had no bearing if they were fans of the stands or not. Um, it definitely, you know, it definitely sucked when you got out of the car, especially Victor Lane and hardly anybody was there or nobody was there. Um, but um, when you're actually out on the racetrack, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't really matter. Before we get too, f- I, I want to keep going down this wormhole here because we're recording this on the night um, following the release of our Russ Ingerson episode. And there was a part in that talk where Russ Ingerson made mention of the fact that he wanted to put on a show. He knew he had the best car, uh, whatever race it was. And he wanted to put on a show for the fans, but then he looked in his mirror and realized they were coming. I can't screw around, but have you ever had a night like that where, you know, you've got the best car, you know, that you're going to win and you try to make it interesting for the fans. Yes. And no. (laughs) And typically no in a feature late model race. Absolutely not. If I can lap the field, I am fucking lapping the field. I am not slowing down. I'm, not, I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry, Tom. What's race directing, running the show? I am sorry if I stick up your show, but absolutely fucking not. I am winning the race. I'm not dicking around. But I will say that there was a couple heat races in my early days where I did make it a show. And what I, in, it was Mr. Curly. My... Uh, in my early days, for whatever reason, I think it was my second year in street stocks. I think it was my second year. For whatever reason, we, we always ha- had something happen in a, in a feature where we didn't win or something would happen. And it seemed like half the season I would start like first, second, or third in a, in a heat race. And we had a really good car. You know, it was fast, pretty fast car, you know, pretty decent. But usually the guys that I was starting around just, you know, couldn't hang on very long and I get out past them. Usually they'd be a roadblock for the fast guys coming out of the back and I take off. Well, I did this like one week, I think two weeks in a row. I led, I won the freaking heat race by like a straightaway. And Tom told, I think my sister. So my sister was actually um, interning for Tom um, around that time. I, I had quit the job and she took over for me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So she was working at the office and Tom pulled her aside and said, you, you tell your brother, don't stink up my shows. So if, if you got a car that can win by a straightaway, make it look good, uh-huh. especially in a heat race. So sure as shit, I think it was two weeks later after Holly told me that I go out and I'm in the same situation. I start pulling away, pulling away. And I look in my mirror and I go, shit, he's going to be pissed. So I roll out of the gas and I keep it within two car lengths and I win the heat race and I try making it look good. That is the only time I think I've done that. I think once or twice, it was that year beyond that. Absolutely. Friggin' not. I'm, I'm going to win by as much as possible. And that's it. <laughs> he did that to me. He did that to me too. Um, in 2000, I, I blew up three weeks in a row and didn't qualify half the year. And, uh, I started on the pole and I led every lap of the feature and I won by half a lap because Matt Potter, uh, ironically enough, he was in that big, heavy S 10 pickup truck and Rick Streeter also in a pickup truck, um, the late Rick Streeter and they're side by side for the entire race. Yep. And they're a second slower than everybody else. 
but nobody can get by him. And I am just on cruise control and I, I never looked in the mirror. I never, whatever. I won by half a lap and down in the tech area, Tom, you know, congratulates me. And then, and I know you've seen this, the finger, that crooked finger pointing backwards up your nose. And he says, now you listen to me. He goes, you enjoy tonight, but if you ever stick up my show again, I'm going to keep you here until two in the morning until they find something illegal on that car. And, and, and I was like, okay, all right. This is not about me anymore. That's right. That's right. Yeah. He don't mind you winning, but don't sink up his shell, right? Don't make it bad for the fans that are paying money. And, and I can appreciate that, that part of it. But the other side is, well, shit, I paid my money too. And and this is the way it it panned out. So sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, you definitely like to try to uh, to make Tom happy when you could, for sure. <laughs> well, uh, let's go back to the days where you're towing with a dolly. And I actually do remember this. Um, you guys had a minivan, right? Was that yeah. my, yeah. We had a van. We had two vans at one point. Um, so actually, to go back to Tom, we um, that second year in Street Sock, we had the same car. Um, we had actually put a body on it or put body panels on it. I think they were kind of sort of allowing aftermarket panels. We kind of may have put some on just to freshen it up because the thing had so many dents before it just was atrocious. So, so yeah, we put some panels on it, put some fresh paint on it. Thing looked pretty good. Um, front horns were still had S's in them, but that was okay. It still had pretty good speed. And um, we actually, uh, we got to a portion of that year um, and we actually lost the motor. And so we're still no money towing in on tow dolly doing all we could. And, uh, and so I, that's it. You know, I lost the motor and I don't think there's any way this is going to, we're going to fix this. You know, it's, we're probably our season's done and we'll have to recoup and, and see where we're at, you know, regroup and see where we're at the end of the year. Well, I'm at work. I think it was Friday. It was the next day. I was at work Friday working in my, my uh, buddy's dad's uh, shop and the phones and sure shit it's it's tom tom curley's calling me at work you know and and obviously tom knows about me through my sister and um you know knew about me through helping with Mashad and stuff but yeah tom calls me and says hey i've got a uh i've got a motor that my son seamus had when he was racing street stocks and it's sitting down to uh, right now. And at the time, Sanborn was kind of, they were doing like a spec motor type program for, for the street stock engines, which ultimately kind of didn't really pan out. But for a couple of years, they were kind of trying to seal these engines because they were trying to make them, you know, make it fair and make them whatever. So Tom calls me and says, I've got this motor and I want you to go pick it up. You know, I'll call Jim right now, tell him to finish it, and you go pick it up, put it in your car, and show back up Thursday. And I said, well, Tom, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the money. I don't have the means to, 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 to do that right now. And, and I appreciate you, you know, getting me a lead on a motor. And he says, no, you don't understand. You're going to go. I'm going to call Jim. He's going to finish that motor. I'm going to pay for it. You're going to pick it up and put it in your car. He says, and then you're going to pay me back later on. He says, we'll worry about that later. He says, you're going to be racing on Thursday. And I said, holy shit. Okay. 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 All right. Here we go. So that's what we did. We went and picked up this motor. Um, and of course, not having much technical knowledge and ability, uh, 
Jeff Potter um, was the one that, you know, came across the road up. We're in our driveway looking at the thing because we had no, really no clue how to go about getting everything swapped over and doing it all the right way and getting it primed. And, and so, yeah, Jeff came up and after working on two of his kids' cars all night, after working a full-time job the day, that day, he came up and helped us into the night putting this engine in our car and there we go. We were, we were back racing. Uh, and I'll tell you every penny that I, I had extra or, or whatever, I, I made sure I saved. And, and at the end of the year, I definitely paid Tom back because that was definitely not a person that I wanted to, uh, to screw over or make, uh, you know, uh, not make right on the deal. So, um, so that was a big moment, a uh, big moment for me. And, and so we were back racing again and uh, pretty sure we won we want to feature that year. Um, and it was kind of a neat deal because it was, um, uh, graduation week, I guess. And it was me, Joel Hodgson and Kyle Tatro. We were all the same age, all uh, graduating high school and we had all finished in the top three, um, that night. So it was kind of a, a special deal. And if Tom, you know, kind of didn't help me out, get the motor, that, that type of thing would have never happened. And who knows if my racing career would have ever, ever continued or continued on, you know, trajectory that it kind of has. Um, so how much, how much was that motor? No idea. I don't even remember. I don't even remember. I wish I did, but no clue. I'm sure Sanborn probably didn't charge Tom quite as much as he could have or should have, but maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe Tom didn't charge me what he could have and should have. I have no idea, but it seemed like it was a fair, it was a fair price. It seemed reasonable. Um, you know, um, not too, you know, not too expensive, but not too cheap either. So, um, I felt okay. You know, I felt comfortable because I'm the type of guy I don't, I don't like to ask for anything. And, and, and sometimes it's a detriment to me. And, and, and so I definitely wanted to make sure that we were good, you know, and I didn't, uh, you know, owe him anything extra on top of that. So, so yeah, we, we moved on from that year. And, and so that car wasn't quite what it, you know, what I needed, you know, it, it, I think probably had a lot of flex, a lot of things going on. And, and so we saved, um, my parents actually helped me. The potters were, um, were, were moving up. They were doing some tiger stuff. And so I bought, uh, we bought Tim Potter's car, which was huge, absolutely huge for us. Um, because Jeff built, you know, really, really great race cars. Um, yeah, really really just phenomenal. Car so winners took, every year. Yeah. Just, just, he, he's the body guy and, and, a, and a heck of a fabricator and, and just built really good solid safe race cars so we took our half a season old correct uh, uh spec motor or, or sealed sandborn motor that we had there and, and we put it in tim potter's car and, and yeah we we proceeded to race um street stocks for for three more years after that and, and won a, a championship in 2008 and uh had a lot of good good runs and good experiences and and you're absolutely right it was when we bought that tim potter car we, we moved up in the world and we bought a single axle trailer and we bought a van. It was a painter's van from Chris Mashad. Um, we bought it from him. It was of Econoline E250. The thing was sweet. I already had all the, all the seats taken out. I fit all my shit in there. It was like a poor man's enclosed trailer. It was, it was great. Fantastic. Um, and then when that finally shipped the bed, we uh, I ended up buying a 1986 Vandura, GMC Vandura from Mike Martin. That thing was awesome as well. Freaking just awesome. I miss those vans. Those are sweet. <laughs> there was something about 
And I remember it when I was a kid going to watch the races. So that was whatever in the nineties when you were sitting waiting and all the trucks and the trailers would come through just in the nineties, you never knew what you were going to see bringing in a car. You might see a freaking Honda civic with a trailer hitch pulling a street stock in. Yeah. I mean, when I race, oh, I was racing street stock, especially towards the end there. Um, mud flat there. Number oh four. Yeah. Mud would show up with a mini, a true minivan. I mean, we're talking like, Bring the family to, to soccer practice minivan in a tow dolly with this little escort pulled behind it. And he'd go out and kick all of our asses every week. It was amazing. With the left rear not even touching the ground. It yeah. was crazy. So, again, it doesn't matter what you're hauling it in on. I mean, and then we'd have guys like Dave Allen who had enclosed trailers forever and built new cars every year. And Mudflap would go out and kick guys like his ass every week, you know. So, um yeah, it was. It, it, you're you're right though, Tom. You know, it, it, unfortunately, it's a part of racing that's kind of gone away. You know, and we've all kind of moved on to the enclosed trailer, and and it's a lot easier on equipment, and and makes our lives easier. But they're definitely you lose a little bit of the show, especially for the young fans. You know, waiting to to get into place. Um, you know, that used to be part of the magic is is being a little kid, getting excited for the races, watching them all you know, get pulled in on open trailers or, or tow dollies or flatbeds or whatever it was at the time. There were still school buses around. Yeah. Absolutely. Mark Barney are keeping it, keeping it strong. Yeah. The rollback. Absolutely. Yep. He'd point that thing up at the sky and drop it down. That was amazing. So, well, before we move up to the tigers here, I want to ask you about these, the street stocks, because you were really, you were one of the guys that changed the division for better or worse. You and David Allen that you mentioned, you guys started getting really good equipment. And I guess maybe you can, you can blame the potters for that a little bit too, because they had really just superb stuff. And, and Matt and Tim were still learning how to, how to race at that point, but Matt was winning races a lot. Um, once they got out of the trucks and into the Mustangs and this is right around 2004, five, six, seven, eight, when I was getting out because the prices were skyrocketing. And I got to be honest with you, when I was getting out, maybe a year or two later, eh, it must have been three or four years later anyway, I was thinking about maybe getting back into it. And I started looking at prices of street stocks. And I came across your car, your championship car. And you wanted some unbelievable figure for it. And I, we, our cars were $1,500, $2,000 race ready, painted, ready to go. And yours was like six or seven grand. And I was pissed off at you. I mean, literally, I, and I didn't even know you at this point. And I was like, who the hell is Jason Corliss? And why does he think that he, his Mustang is worth that money? And then I started to realize if you wanted to compete, you've got to have racing wheels on it and you've got to have an RPM motor or a Sanborn motor or whatever the flavor was at the time. And you've got to have better equipment just to, just to get in the show. So you really, I was, I was gone before this happened, but you were really on the forefront of that. Did you, you must've noticed that happening in a very short amount of time where this went from a hobby where you got a car for 1400 bucks or whatever you said it was to selling a race car for seven grand in three years time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that, that very much is the case. I mean, like I said, guys like Mudflat didn't have that much into their cars, um, but he was really fast. Um, and, and you had guys like Joe Small that came up and 
kicked our ass for a couple of years. Um, and and it, it appeared at least that he had, you know, a decent amount in his car at the time. Um, and then Dave Allen, of course, you know, like you mentioned, he had a lot in his race car time. And then, and then you had other guys that, you know, built them themselves in their driveway with a home built motor and, and, and yeah, so it started to change in, in, I think it was kind of racing in general kind of started to change where people started to kind of outsource probably more um, in right, trying to, to just keep up with the guys that were fast. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I just was fortunate that I just, I got a good deal and bought a good car from, you know, my friends um, across the street and, and I knew it was an awesome car and it was one of those things where I had no money. Um, you know, I didn't have much money at least in, in not much technical ability. And so buying a car that I knew would last for a few years was key. Um, I didn't want something that was super light that would get destroyed or some just foreign car. I had no idea how to work on it. I kind of already had the Mustang. And, and so for me, it was just more, I knew this car was very good, very competitive and fast and very safe in, in, uh, my friends owned it and gave me a good deal and, and we put a good motor in it and that just, things just clicked. Um, you know, and I think I got better, you know, obviously as a driver, especially with better equipment, my first two years on that tow dolly, I mean, I was just, I was just too timid, you know, I just, and it wasn't necessarily cause I was scared. It was just, I didn't have the knowledge, the ability, the, the money to fix it if I wrecked it. And so I raced very, very conservatively my first few years because I was one wreck away from my racing days being over. And so I think that also in in the long run had also helped me as well to just, you know, being able to, and I think Brian kind of talked about this in, in his, uh, his podcast was, you know, being able to see things before they happen or as they're materializing and kind of envisioning a getaway you know, a a hole to get out of that, that mess or an escape path. Um, And so I had to do that just to simply survive, not necessarily to win the race or, or have a good finish. It was just so I could keep racing. Um, And so I kind of developed that early at an early age. um, And and thankfully as I got better equipment and probably got um, a little more um, aggressive or a little less timid, I should say, um, you know, it all started to kind of be other for me. Um, you know, that third year, particularly when, uh, and then, you know, again, it, you know, helped lead us to that, that championship in 2008, which was, which was pretty special, you know, uh, you know, I definitely, um, you know, look fondly back at those street stock days and all those memories and, you know, a lot of competition and a lot of guys, you know, just giving it their all. And it's no different than, you know, racing late models. Now, you know, guys are out there just racing as hard as they can with what they've got and, and trying to do the best job they can. I come up with a lot of harebrained ideas and I usually text Justin with them around, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning. This podcast is one of them. This was one (laughs) of them along with different offshoots. Maybe we'll see later. But as we were calling races, I always brought this up once a year. I'd say part of the late model championship at Thunder road, there should be one week where all the late model guys have to race street stocks. And the incentive, like as you're going, the points leader would get first choice of the street stock car that they drive. Tell me that that's not a great idea. Yeah. Who's not coming to watch, you know, Jason Corliss and Nick Sweet back in street stocks for late model points? Yeah, I, I definitely think it would be very intriguing for the fans. That's for sure. 
Um, I think just, I think we'd get pissed though once we're in the thing and just have it to the floor and just feel like we're not going anywhere just because we're so used to the speed and the, the timing of a late model. Um, I would be down for it. It'd be fun. I think that'd be a blast. <laughs> the throwback idea. Uh, that's, that's free. That's free Christmas shot. You're welcome. <laughs> Promotion right there. I'm going to steal it for devil's bowl. Um, okay. So you, you've got a street stock championship in your back pocket. You actually continued on in the streets one more year. Um, but at the end of that season in 09, um, you start to dip your toe in the tiger waters. You know, 2008, that whole championship deal, it was, it was very, very special. You know, it basically ended the year with, with no money and, and no nothing, but we, we had that championship and that was that, uh, you know, what a sigh of relief. And it was like, okay, we've got the championship. Now what are we going to do? Well, 2009. So yeah, it'd be the next year I graduated in college. So yeah, I'm in college at the time. I've got no money. I'm, I'm, I'm living with my brother in Danville. Um, he was gracious enough to give me, you know, a, a, a bay of his garage to use. Um, which made my life a lot easier, being able to work out of a real garage. Um, so to be honest with you, 2009, I was back in street stocks, but this was our fifth year in street stocks. And I really, I, I really didn't want to be in street stocks anymore. And it was had nothing to do with, you know, anything other than I just wanted a new challenge. I felt like I, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And, and I just didn't feel like, didn't know what was left there for me. And, but it was one of those things where you can want all you want, but if you don't have the means or the money or, or whatever to, to do anything different, then, then you're not going to do anything different. So, so, you know, not racing wasn't an option, you know, I, I'm a racer and, and I needed that competition. And so we got the car ready again and we threw some different ideas at it, just hoping to go out for, for wins. Cause we, we got the championship and, so we went racing in 2009. We were leading the point again up until midseason, and uh, we we got into a wreck and actually flipped on midseason double point night, which is like the absolute worst time to do any of that stuff. So, um, you know, that year started to wind down, and uh, Chuck and Kyle Hess, um, they owned a lot of uh, street stocks at the time. All of the street they were, stocks. <laughs> they owned three quarters or half of the street stocks at least, yes. Um, and so they had actually bought a tiger car, um, that belonged to Kyle Tatro. Uh, Kyle got done and they lived close to him and they struck up a deal and bought his trailer, bought his car. And Kyle got talking with me. And I think Kyle could see too, that, you know, I was ready or wanting to do something different. And, and so Kyle approached me and asked me if I had any interest in, in running that tiger car at all. And I said, well, Jesus, yeah, absolutely. And, and so, um, so we did, uh, it was, uh, you know, my friend, uh, Todd Birdie, who became a big part of my team, uh, for a few years, um, and still a really good friend. He, uh, he was part of my team that last street stock year and he was instrumental in saying, yeah, let's go do it. Um, he, we went over to the Hesses, hooked onto the trailer and hauled it back to his shop. Um, and, uh, I think Matt Potter, he was racing tigers at the time. He helped us set that car up and we ran, I think the last four races of that season, 2009 season, running both the street stock, doing the double duty and running the tiger. Um, and this was at the time where I think they were still sending, you know, half a dozen or so tigers home every night. 
Um, and we were actually, I think we qualified for three out of the four of them, um, which was pretty, pretty special because we had no freaking clue what we were doing. Um, but, you know, so that was a, a really special opportunity for me that somebody kind of, you know, said, hey, you know, I, I want you to run my car and, and take it. Here you go. Um, so we did. We ran the last four races and um, I think it was Milk Bowl, um, the mini Milk Bowl there, we were actually able to finish uh, second. It was just a 150 lap deal, I think. And, and we finished second uh, with that car, which we had no business, I think, finishing second because based on our knowledge and everything else, but the car was fast. And, and uh, so that was pretty special. Um, so after, uh, after that year concluded, we didn't know what we were going to do, if we were going to kind of do the, the Hest, you know, Tiger deal or, or what we were going to do. And I had gotten to be friends with, uh, with Sean McCarthy, um, kind of hung out with him a little bit. And, and uh, Sean was, was kind of, he was done. That, that was, I think 2009 was his last Tiger year. So he had a Tiger car um, and he had some family sponsorship um, that he had. And he said, hey, why don't we team up? He says, you'll take my car and take, you know, my family sponsorship, take your sponsorship from your stock and let's form our own deal. And, uh, and that seems kind of new and exciting. And so that's what we did. Um, you know, me and, me and Sean kind of teamed up and, and me and uh, my father and my, my buddy Todd, um, you know, we went racing 2010 for, for rookie of the year, um, at Thunder Road. So that was, uh, was kind of how the, the tiger stuff started. What'd you go to college for? Uh, business administration. It was kind of one of those got to feel like I need to go for something in business is pretty universal. So we went to Linden for, for business. Um, I, I didn't enjoy it <laughs> that much and I didn't, I don't think I gave it that much of a chance. Um, be honest with you, I was still kind of getting, trying to race and, and it seems kind of foolish to, you know, make street stock racing and, um, you know, a priority or a partial priority over, over college. But, you know, we did the college thing. Um, I got a degree um, and uh, we were still racing throughout. So I guess, it, I guess it all kind of worked out. You've been a hired gun since the Hess ride. Is that, am I right on that? I mean, you, you've, you've driven somebody else's car ever since then. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, so, well, that's extremely rare. I know, I know. It's crazy. It, it, it's, it's insane. We, me and my buddy Todd, we did buy a tiger car of ourselves later on. Um, but it, we only ran it a few times, but yeah, you're essentially right. I have, I have been teamed up with a car owner since 2010, essentially. Um, and now what are we 21 now? Um, it, it's yeah, it's insane um, to be racing at this local level um and have a car owner especially when i hadn't proven anything i want a street stock championship that didn't necessarily mean that i deserved to have a full-blown tiger ride i mean I, my my passion was there my heart was in it and i wanted it but it didn't necessarily mean i had the skills at that time to to be a good tiger driver um so yeah definitely fortunate for those opportunities because they led to more opportunities um so yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were, you're okay in pressure situations. You like pressure situations. You want the ball in your hands with the game on the line. Did you feel more pressure when you got into someone else's car? Honestly, no. Um, 
because the pressure to me was the same. I, I, I put a huge amount of pressure on myself to perform, whether it's me that owns a car or somebody else that owns the car. Um, it, it, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, I, I'm just saying that I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform. I, I am definitely my, my worst and hardest critic. Um, and that's just how I am. It's how I'm built. Um, and so if I don't succeed, I, I'm very disappointed or very highly critical of myself. Um, so I definitely wanted to make sure that I took care of their equipment. It was their investment, not mine. Um, so, you know, it, it definitely kind of brought me back to my early days where I couldn't wreck because I couldn't fix it or, and I couldn't afford to fix it. Well, now it's, I don't want to wreck it because it's not mine. It's theirs. And, and it's going to take their money and, or my money even um, in time to fix this thing. So, um, so a lot of that ended up translating to kind of driving for other people. Um, but yeah, I was just thankful for the opportunities, you know, that too. And I didn't want to let those people down. Um, so yeah, maybe I did put a little extra pressure on myself, but I put a ton on myself as it is. So I, I guess I didn't really feel any, any extra pressure. Does that make you a better driver? Not wanting to tear stuff up and driving with your wallet rather than driving with the trophy in mind? At times, I think yes. Um, but at times, maybe no. Um, you know, there's sometimes, especially in my early early part of my career, where I probably should have stuck it in that hole or put it three wide or done something crazy that probably or could have worked out, but I just didn't because I wasn't willing to take that calculated risk. Um, so maybe I've lost some trophies that way, but I feel like I've gained a lot more, um, for, for being more calculated and, um, you know, being more patient in, in taking those calculated risks rather than just going bonsai. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's worked out better for me. So you, you meet Chris Burnett along the way and we're, we're at least a decade into this now, aren't we by, by now? I mean, you, you've, you've been at his side and he's been at yours ever since. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, been a good relationship. Um, yeah, crazy, kind of crazy story how it all kind of happened. Um, it was 2010. We were racing, um, for Sean, um, racing, uh, Thunder Road and we were doing the Tiger Tour, which was, I think, a three race Tiger Tour that year. Um, and so we actually had come off of a win, our first career win um, at Thunder Road with the Tiger. And we raced that Saturday at Canaan Fair Speedway for the Tiger Tour 100. And so we're coming in with a feeling really good about ourselves, cars running really good. We go to Canaan and we're pretty good you know we're we're probably not as good as uh jason bonnet and 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 rossi and some of those other guys i think that were out there at the time um but we were we led a few laps and we were kind of in the hunt we were in the top five um, for most of that race we go into turn one and late in the race pretty late in the race and um i get shoved up the track um i think it was <laughs> i think it was Derek Derek o'donnell um gave me the old bump and run um and, and well, it was whatever. He was, he didn't wreck me. He, he, well, he didn't mean to wreck me. He, he gave me the old bump and run, uh, moved me up the track. And well, we're going into one with a pretty good set head of steam. Um, the car goes way up the hill and I got a ton of wheel into it because of course I'm shooting way up the track and I got the, all this wheel into it and I get up into the, up into the shit, um, up in the, the rubber and, and all the, all the shit that's up on the top of the racetrack 
And next thing you know, the thing starts to turn. Well, I got as much wheel as possible into this thing. Well, when she starts to turn, she turned fast. That rear end caught up, started going around twice as fast. And so I started to spin. Well, unfortunately for me, Derek was pretty much by me by the time it started to spin. My left front came down and hit his right rear. Well, when that happened, the freaking car ricocheted to the outside, freaking 100 miles an hour, it felt like. And I was headed off the back stretch, driver's side, headed for the woods. And not too long before this happened, I think it was Dan, was it Dan Colby? Somebody at White Mountain in a pass car, a late model, ended up in the woods. Ended up down pit road and in the woods. Yeah. Uh, I'll think of it when we're done. <laughs> 73 so, car. Yeah. I, uh, Cody Bodwell. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so all I could think about in the split second that this is happening is, holy shit, I'm going to end up like that guy in White Mountain. I'm going to end up in the fucking woods. Here we go. So as I'm spinning or as I'm sliding through the grass, and of course it's freaking there's dew on the ground, so you hit the grass and I'm headed twice as fast for this little sketchy tire barrier. I fucking hit the thing, driver's side, the thing shoots up in the air. I think I was up in the air. Like we've got some pictures and I must have been up in the air, at least eight feet or so up in the air. And I actually had scratches and, and dings and nicks on the roof where the catch fence actually helped hold me in the place. Thing falls back down on driver's side, back on all fours. Of course, I hit some like little tree that was out there, bent the clip, fucking knocked the radiator out of it, or junk. You know, that's it. Game over. Um, and so we get to the pits and whatever. It was what it was. You know, Derek didn't send me out there. He just gave me a little shot into one. And yeah, I was kind of pissed at him. But by the end of the night, there was a lot more people pissed at him than I was. So I just let it be what it was. And and um, so we're sitting there kind of evaluating the car and getting it in the trailer. And just so happens, uh, Chris, who owned, a, who owned a Tiger car at the time, Chris Burnett, um, Jay Webb was driving his Tiger car on the Tiger Tour. And at this point, Jay was the only one driving the car, and they were running just the Tiger Tour. And Chris had actually, I think, been to a wedding or had some event that night, and he showed up like halfway through the feature. They weren't even planning on going to the race. But typical Chris fashion, he talked his wife into it and they fucking booked it hundred miles an hour to this race and made it halfway through. So Chris saw it all happen and, and came to me after the, after the race. I had met Chris once before, before I talked to him that night. Um, it was at white mountain. He was racing with Jay Webb and he broke a drive shaft and I let him, we let him borrow one. Best, best thing I ever did. Um, because that night at Canaan with a wrecked car, he says, uh, he comes to me and says, Hey, I understand you're racing for a rookie of the year at Thunder Road. And Thursday, I want you, you know, it doesn't look like you're going to have your car ready. So I want you to drive my car. I said, Well, you know, oh, Jesus, you sure? You know, I'm kind of hesitant. And he says, No, just I'll call you. We'll, we'll get you fitted in the car, make sure you fit, and we're, we'll race Thursday. So I want you to drive my car. Says, okay, okay. And that's how it all started. We finished 2010 driving Crested Burnett's Tiger and we continued in 2011 and, uh, and I, in 2012. And then, uh, and then 2013, we went late model racing. So funny, you mentioned in the street stocks, how everybody helping you out is the only reason that 
you really were able to race, especially the potters, and you pay it forward at some point and it leads to the best opportunity for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that definitely helped, you know, just because, you know, we, we had built some sort of bond and relationship and had at least met at way mountain lending, lending him some parts. And, and maybe that was part of the reason why he felt comfortable to come over and, and talk to me and, and then ultimately offer me his car. Um, so yeah, I definitely, you know, I don't mean to, you know, I, I definitely have a, a, a lot of, uh, respect for for Derek O'Donnell. I definitely don't mean to uh, you know make it sound like uh, you know he was being Derek in that situation. But Derek, you know, if he ends this, thank you for for wrecking me that night. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> I know he does like the podcast. He does Facebook. Yeah. So he listens. He'll be on it someday too. Good, good. Jay, I want I want to ask you. Do you what do you know about Jay Webb? I don't honestly know that much because basically he was never around when I was around, you know, he, I think that Canaan race might have been his last race in that car. I'm not hundred percent sure. He might've done one more, but well, it, it might've um, been, but I'll tell you, Jay Webb, I wish that he had been racing 20 years before he started because he is one of the most naturally gifted natural drivers I've ever seen in my life. Um, and it doesn't matter what he's in. He was running, you know, rattle trap renegades and strictly's and enduro cars over at airborne. And then he got into a tiger and he won immediately, but even better than that, I went up to, um, we used to do some charity go-kart races. Brian Hoare would put on Jay Webb would go up there and he would wax build in, he'd take the worst card out there and, and he would be a second faster than everybody. And my point is, Chris knew that about Jay, that he was extremely good. And to have him pull Jay out of the car and put you in it must really be saying something about your own skill and and what he saw in you. And that has led to where we are now. I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I think, you know, there are probably some more factors, you know, with Jay and his, his work life and work schedule and, and, and whatnot. But, but yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of strange because I think when I went and actually sat in the seat and made sure I fit and, and, and whatnot that for that following Thursday, I mean, the car was at Jay's house. So I was kind of like, Oh shit, you know, I feel like I'm kind of like taking this guy's ride here, but I don't think for them, I think they, you know, had only agreed on kind of doing the tiger tour stuff. So, you know, Chris assured me that it was good. We were, it was all okay. And, and whether that was truth or not, I don't know, but it made me feel a little bit better. So, uh, so yeah, we, uh, we went from there. So, so go from there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a rocket ship ever since. Yeah. So, you know, to be honest, our tiger years, we won some races, um, but we didn't have a ton of success. You know, we just, that tiger division got so tough. Um, and it got to the point where guys were spending unbelievable amount of money on tiger cars. I mean, they were becoming, they were becoming kind of late models um, of their own. Uh, you know, we were talking, you know, we had all adjustable ball joints and adjustable idler arms and just some crazy shit going on. Um, where it was just getting hard to compete unless you, you had a $30,000 plus tiger car built. And we weren't doing that. I mean, me and Chris were kind of spending money out of our own pockets um, to kind of run the, the tiger deal. Um, so we were very low budget um, and we had what we had and we just couldn't really compete 
compete with that. Um, and so that's ultimately what led us to late model racing. Um, I think that's where both of our hearts were, um, just because of all of our previous racing experience, you know, him being around, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Hoare, um, and his you know, late model stuff and me being around Chris Machado for so long and his late model stuff. I mean, that's kind of what we were just growing up around basically is the late model scene. And so when these guys are spending these crazy amount of money on these tiger cars, we kind of had a choice to make um, and we weren't willing to go down that path. Um, so we decided to, to make the jump. We bought a late model for the fraction. I mean, we spent it for half of what these guys were building tiger cars for we built a, a rate we bought a race ready late model um and i said we chris chris bought it and and yeah we went late model racing in uh 2013 so definitely a steep learning curve um there you know moving up to the to the late models um and, and definitely we didn't have uh, the best equipment and we definitely weren't uh weren't very good at setting it up and didn't have um, very good process in the shop to, to get consistency out of the race car. Um, but that following year, um, so they'd be the end of 2013 for the milk bowl. Um, Chris um, kind of talked it over with his uncles who, who own the Burnett scrap metals. And, and they decided that um, they were willing to, to kind of jump into this racing thing and kind of uh, get more invested and kind of let it kind of be a, a thing that they get to be a part of. And so it wasn't Chris's thing anymore. It was, you know, they kind of got involved as well. Um, so they helped uh, with the investment of, of getting a, an RPM car. And, and Brian mentioned it in his podcast. It was one of the cars that Brian had actually won at, um, at Loudon with. Um, and so we're going from a car that we, you know, we were competing, but we weren't ultra competitive didn't have a lot of success. Um, we had, I think we won a couple trophies that first year, but it was mostly handicap related. Um, we went from that to now we got a, a freaking RPM racing badass freaking late model. And I mean, talk about being a kid in a candy store. I mean, it's just like, just been given like the best gift possible, you know, to be able to drive that race car. Um, so yeah, I mean, in, so what's nice is, uh, that's been from 2014 or the last race in 2013. That's been the same car we've been driving up until now. And, um, you know, obviously Andrew Hill's been a huge portion of, of our success. Um, you know, Andrew worked for, for Rick at RPM, uh, for many years, um, in the race car shop. He was the guy, he was responsible for the race cars. He did the setups. He did the work. He was the fabricator. He did everything. Um, and so we got Andrew to kind of help us. And that was because Chris had spent that time with Andrew working on Brian's car. So he had built a friendship and a relationship with, with Andrew. And so, yeah, Andrew, you know, started to, to help us out a little bit. Um, I don't know if it was because of uh, partially pity or what it was, but, or maybe we begged him enough or what, but he, he started to kind of help us a little bit. And at first it was just us bringing the car once in a while up to, up to Rick to have Andrew, set it up and kind of go through it to fix what we had fucked up. And uh, later on, it was Andrew actually started to get interested in, in kind of the weekly Thursday stuff and, and started to kind of show up uh, weekly with us and uh, made a huge difference, obviously. Uh, and that's, um, you know, turned into be, uh, a, you know, Andrew coming with us every week and being our full-time crew chief. And, uh, and yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a pretty amazing ride. 
when you started your first season late models, who was the first driver that really gave you like your oh shit moment? Like, this is really cool. I'm racing with blank. I think it was honestly, that was la- uh, Chris Michaud's last year. Um, and, and so I think it was, it was just Chris. It was like this first practice day going out there and holy shit, you know, that's, that's Chris passing me very, very quickly. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah. And then later on, it got to a point where I was actually kind of racing him. Of course, um, you know, towards the end, his, he had weeks where his performance wasn't quite where it needed to be. And of course, my performance certainly wasn't where it needed to be. Um, so there was moments where we were kind of somewhat around each other. And so, yeah, I think just being around Chris, it was like, holy shit, this is, this is real. I'm really racing these guys. Um, there was one night where we almost, we almost won. Um, and I think we ended up third and Jamie Fisher won the race. Joey LeCare was second. I was third. And I got that picture and it's like, holy shit, these guys are legends. You know, these guys are some of the best to turn laps around this place. And here I am like with them in victory lane. It was just, it was surreal, you know? And, and so those are some of the few moments, I guess, early on where it just kind of hit me that, wow, I can't believe I'm out here with these guys. This is, this is pretty cool. Well, only a few months later, uh, from the summer of 13 into the, the spring of 14, you've got this new car and one of the all-time great Memorial Day classics. Uh, you get Nick Sweet at the line by inches um, for your first late model win. And I think as important as that is, you are one of those drivers who um, got that special moment where Tom Curley comes out of the tower. And he goes down to victory lane and he plants the big sloppy kiss on you, grabs you by, by both cheeks, you know, and I can think of Joey pole getting a big win and Tom doing that. I can think of maybe the first time Eric Williams did something really incredible. Um, You know, uh, and there's a few others. It it doesn't, you know, we don't have to name them all, but you were one of, you were really one of the last drivers to get that moment. Um, And that, you know, take us through that because that just the race alone was amazing, but then to have that moment. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a special day right from the start. Um, You know, we obviously hadn't won a race up at that point and very early in my career, still very early on driving this particular car and just trying to figure, figure it out, figure out how to do it, you know, and, and, Early in the day, Tom actually pulled me aside and, and hadn't told too many people this, but Tom pulled me aside and, and he basically gave me that it's, it's your time. You, you can go win this race. And I'm like, yeah, you know, okay. He says, no, this, you've got what it takes to go out and win this race. Go get it done. Gave me one of those pep talks. And I'm just like, you know, afterwards I'm like, well, that was cool, but okay. That's just Tom being Tom, right. Just kind of taking the young guy under his, you know, and, and, and trying to pump him up and just trying to be nice, you know, and, and it was well, very. Remember though, but you and Derek O'Donnell were the rookies in 2013 and right. we've already talked about what you did in 2013, but Derek won the championship. Oh yeah. Derek was amazing. And, so and you, you needed wow. this pet talk. I, I think he, he knew I did, I guess. And, and maybe subconsciously it did something, but I didn't feel like I was all jacked up afterwards. I, I thought it was special. And I, I, I appreciated he thought of me like that and was willing to come take a minute to come talk to me. I mean, 
Tom's amazing, you know, and I got so much respect for him and what he's done. And for him to do that, I just thought it was special, but I kind of was like, okay, you know, like, yeah, you know, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'm going to win the race, you know, like, yeah, that'd be cool, but all right, well, all right, well, here we go. And then we go out the day, our normal way and starting off the car was, the car was good. Um, it was a hundred lap race. Um, and we had no cautions. We started ninth. Nick started, I think, on the pole. I think it was probably a plus-minus deal. Nick started right up front. I started ninth. Nick led every lap of the thing. And I, we finally caught him at the end. Um, and so, yeah, we were able to, to you know, just nip him at the line and, and get the win. And, and then, sure, shit, Tom comes out of the tower and, and gives me that big hug. And I think I'm pretty sure he told me, you know, I told you so. I told you you could do it. And, and I'm like, you know what? You're right. Holy shit. Yeah, that was, you know, so that was pretty special that – he kind of called that shot before it even happened. And, and like I said, maybe subconsciously it did something for me and gave me that little extra confidence that, that I needed. But, you know, we definitely had a damn good race car that day. And that definitely helped for sure. What kind of confidence boost is, is that for you springboarding off that race? It was big. It was big for, for all of us, not just me, but the whole team. Um, for me, it felt like it was kind of some validation that I can do this, um, that I can prove to Chris that I can do this. And to everyone else that I can compete, you know, I just needed, I just need seat time and I needed equipment and, and, um, you know, good setups underneath me. And, and so to be able to get that win, I, it definitely surprised a lot of people, um, maybe even surprised us a little bit, but, um, but yeah, it was big, really big for, for us to, to get that one, especially early in our career to build a lot of confidence for sure. Had you been accepted by the late model group? at that point or, or even before, or maybe even after that win? I think that helped. I think that 2014 season definitely helped that first year. We just, we were just kind of there, you know, and, and I don't think, uh, you know, nobody gave us any problems. Nobody really came over, you know, bitching at me or, or nobody really, you know, either kind of took me under their wing either, you know, we were just kind of there. Um, and so I think that 2014 season just, again, helped kind of validate what we were doing and, and helped kind of cement our place over there in, in those pits and with those guys and let them know that, you know, we're, we're the real deal and we're there to actually compete and, and try to contend with them. Tell me a little bit about your guys. I mean, it's year after year. We see you in the pits. It's the same guys on the crew there every week. No one seems to miss a week. You know, I noticed it the first time because the big fella, Dan Durkee, I went to school with since kindergarten. I was like, oh, that's Dan. I'm like, okay. And then week after week, year after year, he's there every week. And then I'm looking, I'm like, it's the same guys week after week, year after year. Yeah, I've been extremely fortunate. Uh, racing in, in any sport or anything in life, um, it's all about people. It's all about relationships. Um, and it's a team sport. And that's what you know, part of what I love about racing, um, is it's not all about me. I know my name goes up on the, you know, up in the paper or on a press release. And, um, but it's definitely not, it's not all me. And, and it's probably more, it's definitely more all of them, um, and what they contribute to the team. Um, you know, obviously Andrew, Andrew is a genius. Um, he's so smart, um, when it comes to these race cars, um, and puts great setups underneath them. And then, yeah, you know, I've got Travis Brisbane who's been with me right from the tiger when I started with tigers and that all formulated because he used to help, uh, Brian, um, with, with Andrew and Chris, 
Um, so Travis just kind of went with Chris when Chris started his Tiger team. And uh, me and Travis are good friends and now, and, and he's been with the team ever since. And then, yeah, I'm buddies with Dan Durkee, and he's been with me for, for basically, I think right when we started Late Models, Dan kind of joined the team. You know, and then we got my buddy DJ, um, who kind of joined the team the last few years. I've always been around, but finally, you know, kind of committed to actually coming to the shop every week and, and coming to the track. Um, and then obviously my father um, has been with me right from the start. Um, and dad's always taken to tires. He's always been the tire guy. Um, so that's been a huge constant for me, too, is dad's always kind of been the guy that, um, you know, figures out the stagger and, and, and gets the tires where they need to be. And, and that's one good part, I think, that we have um about our team is is we all kind of have a role we all have a job and we all try to execute and and we're able to to do the same things kind of year after year because we don't have much change so andrew you know comes up with the setups and and leads the charge with setting up the car you know chris owns the car makes a lot of the big decisions i focus on can focus on driving the car um you know dad focuses on tires and the other guys, you know, help fill in the gaps and, and help out everyone else where it's needed. And, and, and so you see some guys that, you know, haul into the racetrack and even with a late model team, they got two guys with them. And it's like, holy shit, that's, that, there's just a lot to do. And, and it's hard to be successful and, and have, um, you know, consistency when, when you're just spread too thin. So I've been fortunate to have um, a lot of good people helping me over the years and help me get to where I am and then help me continue to have success on our, on a race team. It's been big. You have racers on your team as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mr. Pilot forgot about Nick. How could I forget about Nick? Um, yeah, Nick, Nick Pilot's been with me for, for a bunch of years too. And, and he's a, he's a damn good race car driver. I mean, he yeah, could, I guess so. if given the, given the time, you know, to, to be behind the, behind the wheel himself, I've got no doubt that Nick could drive that race car, you know, just as well as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just been fortunate that, you know, I've been kind of groomed and had the time in the seat and, and everything to get to where I am today. But Nick is an incredible race car driver um, and, and he's won a lot of big four cylinder races. And, um, you know, it's at times I almost feel guilty that he's helping us and, and not, you know, chasing his own, um, chasing his own wins um, behind the wheel because, um, he's definitely uh, more than capable of, of still going out there and getting it done. So um, I think you might see him a little bit here, hopefully this year, maybe the year after. There's always talks of something getting built and, and him playing a little bit. And I hope he, he does that because, um, yeah, he's really good. And, and so it's, it's good he's to have Jay, him. He's a Jay Webb type. He really is. Yeah. And it's good to have him on the team because, um, I mean, not only is he just a good guy and he's fun to be around, um, but – um, you know, I can kind of talk to him a little bit about racing and just racing in general. And I think he maybe gets it sometimes a little bit more, at least in the on track stuff, because, you know, he, he's lived it too, you know, at least on the, the street stock end of it. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a lot of fun. I mean, we've, we discussed the Memorial day race and that's kind of your big coming out party with the late models. I don't want to trivialize what you've done, but I mean, damn it, you win so much that it seems like it's not a surprise at all. You won five races last year at Thunder Road and another at White Mountain. Um, I mean, it's 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 almost boring, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm not a huge plus minus fan. You must be. 
because every time we're at Thunder Road, you get a plus five or a plus six in your heat race. You start on the pole and you lead every damn lap. Yeah. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And, and thankfully, a lot of those plus minuses, we've been both. Um, the key is I can never draw the chip rolling across tech for the plus minus. If I touch the chip, draw the chip, I guarantee you we're going to be probably on the pole or second. Um, so the trick is I always have usually the newest guy on the crew pull the chip and usually ends up with a pretty good one for us. Um, at least that's the way it's panned out. Now that I've said that, I probably jinxed myself for life. So I'll probably say, yeah, it's, but yeah, it's just worked out really good. And then, you know, you start last in a heat race and have a really good race car and you find the right line and you start passing cars. And next thing you know, you're starting on the pole with a really good race car and right. It's probably not the best for the show. And I understand that, but it's really good for our program when we can go out and, and have a really good day like that. I don't want to get you in trouble um, because you are still a current driver and you're arguably the, the star of the show. Um, and you've got a personal relationship with Chris Mashad, but would you rather see on a tour race, would you rather see the plus minus go away and go to a handicap where you have, where you start 18th and you've got a chance to win the race? Or would you rather just blitz the field and, and it's, it's over before it starts? Personally, I'd like to be the guy that just blitz the field because I like winning. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong, starting 18th and passing everybody to win the race is an incredible feeling. I just, I don't like to put anything to chance. And I know if I've got a really good race car starting first and just dominating the race, as long as we win, that's, that's the goal. Right. Um, but for the show in general, I mean, the, the nice part about the plus minus is when they started implementing the, you can't start better than 10th if you want to race. Yeah. So there used to be a few years ago where, um, you know, guys would mop up the field, win a, you know, win a race. And then next, thing you know, they come out next week, get a big plus, and they're starting on the pole again. And it's like, well, how the hell did whoever, Gene Paul Sear at the time or somebody, you know, how did he dominate last week? And he's on the pole again now this week at whatever track. And so I think they learned from that and doing the can't start better than 10th thing. It definitely, um, I think has helped the show. Um, um, I know there's been, so actually the last few years, you know, thankfully we've been able to come right out and win the, that community uh, bank 150 there. And, and, and so later on in the year, when the tour comes back to town, Labor Day comes and I can't start better than the 10th because I won that tour race to begin the year. Um, so it's like, well, shit, this, you know, I only run a couple tour races a year, but that's the deal, right? That's, that's it. And, and we're okay with that. And, and it's kind of nice, kind of neat to have that challenge too, you know? And, and um, so, yeah, no, I totally understand and, and, and respect that, you know, having a handicap system because that's what we do weekly, but I think the plus minus works too. Um, and seeing that excitement in the heat races, I think, is is pretty big, too. I think uh, guys drive really, really hard in the heat races on the plus minus um, because it means that much more. Going back to the White Mountain win, we talked about it with Nick a little bit. This, for better or worse, what comes with being you know the standout guy at Thunder Road is most people say you can only win at Thunder Road. How big was it for you guys to finally get that win outside of the high banks? Um, we've always run really good at White Mountain, um, and I, I love that racetrack. 
So us winning there, I don't think was a was a surprise, especially given the success that we've had at Thunder Road. And I don't think it was that big of a surprise to the guys. Um, it was the first race back from from our COVID break, um, so everybody was just everyone was just excited to be at a racetrack, and then to win was like you know the, the icing on top. But for me personally, I can tell you that it meant a lot. It was big for me because. I was starting to worry or have that little doubt in my mind. Not that I couldn't win somewhere else, but that I might be labeled as that guy. Um, and, and yeah, I've only won one race outside of Thunder Road. So I guess technically I can still be labeled as that guy. But um, I don't know. It was just a thing that, you know, I feel like um, we've always run. We haven't run too many races outside of Thunder Road. We did run the tour in 2017. We had a really good year, finished third that year, almost won at a couple of races. Yeah. Secret. I've never never been to, you know, so I knew that I, I can run well at other places. I just haven't had too many opportunities. So to finally cash in and finally win at a track, that's not Thunder Road. Just again, yeah, it meant, meant a lot. It meant a lot to me. Felt like I'm kind of a monkey off my back. I'm going to use your own uh, theory against you here and, and build on what Tom is saying. Um, you've won everything at Thunder Road. You've won Memorial Day. You've won Labor Day. You've won three milk bowls. You've won the community bank race. What, you've won the championship. What else is there? Why, why don't you guys go tour racing? Well, I think part of it, and that could happen uh, down the line. I think part of it is um, Thursday nights at Thunder Road. For one, it, it works really well for our team um, with, you know, young families um, being able to have most weekends open to go camping or just spend with your family um, is big. Um, the other part is the competition at Thunder Road is unbelievable. Um, it, and it, it pushes you to be a better driver. It pushes you to have a better car and put a better setup underneath thing. And you're constantly grinding every week to try to beat the best. Um, and I think at times the tour, um, uh, which is ultra competitive, but I feel like there's times where there's only a couple guys that end up really competing for a championship. I feel like at Thunder Road, sometimes it boils down to that, but any given week, especially considering the 50 lap and the handicap and all of that played in, I feel like it's just, it's a tougher challenge, um, the Thursday night program. Um, And the last few years, you know, some of the championship battles that we've had um, with, you know, especially the ones with Trampus and, and Scott Dragon have been some of the most fiercest racing that I've ever experienced and probably will ever experience in my life. Um, and, and that's just from weekly racing, you know, and, and it's that competition, I think, that keeps driving us back. Um, that and, you know, you get a taste of that success in those big races and you, you want more. Um, and I think if you only show up a few times a year, it's hard to stay on top of that racetrack and stay on top of your program to, to keep you where you need to be to win those big races. Um, so for us, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the curse of, three milk bowl wins. Um, I was just going to ask you that. And, and, you know, we haven't ever talked about it. We don't really talk, I guess, that much about that type of stuff in the shop or we're just joking around and working on the race car and whatever. But to me, it's something I think about, um, especially the more I hear about it. And, and you guys definitely have touched on it quite a bit in the podcast uh, a few times, um, or at least Brian and some of those other guys have. Uh, Nick. We've never brought it up. No, it's always the, the three-time winners are the ones that bring it up. <laughs> So I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be part of that club. Um, so it's so friggin' hard to win that race and everything's got to line up perfectly. So who knows? You know, that's why we try to enjoy 
everyone that we've gotten so far because you never know. It could be your last milk bowl. It could be your last win, period. So you got to enjoy them. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, that's what drives us back there is to try to just stay on top of our game, and hopefully we can, we can get more of those. What is the difference for you from that early part of your career? You know, you were the dog chasing the rabbit, if you will, trying to catch the Nick Sweets, Derek O'Donnells, the Bobby Therians, to now you're the rabbit and you have these young kids, the Marcel Gravels, the, you know, Brandon Lanfears this year, all these kids looking at you as the guy they need to be. It's neat. Um, and like I said, it's, it kind of goes back to, you know, me watching that progression with like Chris, Chris Mashad. Um, you know, he was that guy, right. Who was, who was doing the chasing. And then later part of his year, he of his career, he was the guy that was being chased and watching him up close um, during those, those periods, I think, again, helped groom me a little bit in, in when I'm kind of in this same situation. Um, but for me as a driver, like, especially on the racetrack, I think I've gotten a lot better over the, the course of my career of not necessarily worrying about the competition. Um, there was many years where I was trying to, you know, I was racing that guy and, and you were focused on that guy. And, and now I've gotten to a point where I think I'm, I'm racing the track. Um, I'm racing the track and, and driving the car as hard as I can with what I have. And I'm ultra focused on, on that, you know, and not necessarily the competition. Um, so it's basically, uh, it's just kind of, you know, I'm just kind of focused on my own thing out there uh, and not necessarily worried about anybody else or what they're doing. I mean, even if I'm, you know, have a pretty sizable lead, I'm still just ultra focused on hitting my marks. And, and if I screw up a corner, I'm a little frustrated and I'm going to make sure I don't do it again, you know? And, and so, yeah, I've just tried to stay focused um, uh, on just racing the racetrack and, and just worrying about myself and not necessarily trying to, to worry about those around me and, or the ones trying to, you know, trying to keep up with, with what we've been, had going on lately. You, um, you mentioned racing the track. What do you think of, the track now that Thunder Road has changed so much in the last few years. Kind of ups, uh, not upset. I guess I was a little bummed out when they first paved it. Um, it was exciting. It was new. It was needed, but we were just starting to kind of come on to something and get a handle of the old track, you know? And I felt like we were just on to something and then it changed. And I'm like, shit, we were just, you know, I feel like this could set us back, you know? And it didn't, it, it like played in our hands um, pretty well. Um, and yeah, it was super fast, had a lot of grip and it was kind of a one lane racetrack for kind of a year as it kind of seasoned in. And as the years have kind of gone by and a couple of years have passed now, it's great. Um, the racing's good. The outside's starting to come in, the track's starting to kind of widen out a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh you know, it's still Thunder Road. It's, uh, they're still, still, the banking's the same. Uh, the pavement's starting to wear a little bit. Um, yeah, there's a wall around it, but not that big of a deal. So, um, it's still Thunder Road and, and, uh, you just got to figure it out. Um, yeah, it's different. You got to drive it differently than you used to be able to with the old worn out pavement, but, um, it's been a fun challenge kind of learning that and, and adapting and, and, uh, yeah, it's worked out, worked out pretty good for us. Does the wall give you pause every now and then? No, 
No, I don't think so. Um, it's one of those things. If you're focused on it, you're probably going to be in it. Um, so we try not to even worry about it. Um, it definitely was a different feeling when you first went out there um, for the first time and kind of looked at it and go, holy shit. Yeah. There's a lot of concrete out here now. I try not to hit it. And thankfully um, I've hit it a couple of times maybe in the last few years, but not many uh, once or twice. So been lucky, I guess I haven't hit it too many times. Um, so yeah, you just try to block it out um, and don't focus on it. And you worry about that when the time comes, I guess. <laughs> I'm curious how you see this continuing. You're, you just said 33. You look at, you know, Joey LeCare at 77, still stepping into a race car. You know, you have a kid at home, a lovely wife, you know, you have all these things. Do you see yourself, you know, trying to demolish every Thunder Road record there ever is? Or do you see maybe a light at the end of the tunnel where maybe you want to try something different? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, my, uh, my wife's actually pregnant right now with, a with our second child. No way. Congratulations. Mazel tov. All right. <laughs> so it's definitely, um, things are going to get busier here at the house. Um, I can attest to that. You can. <laughs> which, uh, which is all great. You know, my wife is super supportive and our family is, and, and, and I've been able to continue racing and race at a high level with all this going on here at home like everyone else has to deal with at home um so yeah no it just you think about that every once in a while I guess especially you know after some of these big wins and I guess I find myself occasionally kind of sitting around thinking you know what's what's the what's the end play here you know what are we what's the plan and and the, the, the beauty is there is no plan you know there's no plan uh, there's never me and Chris, our relationship and our deal, we've never signed anything. We've never really even talked about it. We just, we both have a passion and desire to go racing, and that's what we continue to do. Um, if we ever get to a point where we get burnout or it's too much or we need to do something differently, um, I'm sure we'll have that conversation. But we've gone over 10 years now and it hasn't happened. I think if anything, our passion and desire to go out and be successful and try to win um, has only grown. Um, so for us, I guess it's just, we're going to keep our head down. You know, you, you pick your head up and kind of look around too much. I think you're going to kind of lose track of where you are. Um, and so um, we're just keeping our head down, um, you know, keeping busy and working hard and, and trying to stay on top because um, you don't get to stay on top too long in this deal before somebody goes blown by you and you're, you're scratching your head wondering what the hell happened. So, um, so we're definitely trying to enjoy what we have while we have it, but also work twice as hard to stay where we are so we can keep enjoying it. Well, that's what I was, I was thinking as, as you were answering that question, do you stop and smell the roses and, and look around? And yeah, I mean, there's reminders everywhere that you walk at Thunder Road of who's won the big races and you're, you have surpassed, all of the, well, not all of the legends, but damn near all of them. I mean, you're in the same company as Crouch and Dion and the Dragons and even Phil Scott, Nick Sweet, Dave Pembroke, the guys that have transcended time. Um, do you, I mean, have you ever sat back and been like, okay, this is, if it stops today, this was good? Probably not as much as I should. Um, I guess once in a while, maybe especially after a big win, when you're kind of coming down from that 
that initial high of, of that win and that success, you kind of sit back and, and say, yeah, wow. You know, it's that, you know, if, if it, if it's all done today, then it's been good. And, and, and I've had fun, but no way do I want that to be the case. And, and again, I, I, I'm just, I don't know. I just, I, I probably don't do it enough. I probably don't enjoy the success enough sometimes um, because just down the road's another race and there's another opportunity to go out and try to, to succeed and, and, and surpass your goals and, or at least meet your goals. So, um, you know, I think there'll be a time um, when this is all done that I can probably sit back and, and enjoy uh, what we've done and maybe get together with the guys and tell some stories and, and really uh, enjoy it. But um, right now I think we're just, we're just ultra focused on, on trying to, to keep going, um, to keep having success and working hard. So I guess that's what we're doing. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get to our quick hitters to get you out of here, but I'd be remiss to ask because this is going to come out two days before opening day at Thunder Road. What is the excitement level for you as we're recording this, you know, two weeks out? Yeah, I'm ready, man. Ooh, it's uh we went to uh we went to Hickory um with our our past super late model and and didn't have a very good uh didn't have a very good weekend and ultimately blew a motor. So um so yeah, we we started the year off on kind of a bad note and uh didn't have much success. So I think I'm ready to go out and kind of just feel like I got to prove myself again. And it's crazy as that might sound. It's just, I feel like to myself, I just, we need to go out and show that we're, we can, we can get it done and we're a top level team. Um, and I know we are, and, and, and that's just kind of where I, maybe it's just a, a psych, uh, you know, I psych myself out and, and, you know, I've got to have something to kind of keep me pumped up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited and super ready for the season. Um, you know, Thunder Road is just such a special place. Um, so every it's amazing. Every time you pull in that place in the spring for the first time, um, you kind of turn into a little kid again. You just kind of brings back a lot of memories for me. Um, and so, yeah, it just brings back all that excitement. Um, and I still have that deep fire and, and desire to, to go out and, and run well. So, um, yeah, it's been a long winter. Um, obviously, with all this uh, COVID stuff going on, uh, I think it just makes you that much more eager to uh, to get back to the racetrack and strap in and, uh, and go fast again. All right, let's move on to our quick hitters. Here we go. And we got some new ones to throw, you know, a curveball because we know you listen. Well, everybody's been so damn prepared that we want it. <laughs> we got to change it up. Uh, first one: If you could drive anyone else's race car for a night, whose would you want to drive? Oh boy. Late model? Whatever you want it to Whatever be. you want. Oh, boy. Shit. Ah, I'm not prepared. Definitely not prepared. <laughs> it worked, Tom. <laughs> Fuck. My, mine's been pretty badass. I don't know if I want to drive anyone else's. <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Fuck. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, how about this? Uh, Trampus Demers, his is uh, his one of his cars was kind of a sister car to ours, so that'd be kind of like driving something close to what what mine is. So, and it's usually pretty fast. So maybe Trampus's. I don't know. 
<laughs> softest answer of all time. <laughs> what do you want me to say? How about, how about this? How about uh, Tommy, Tommy Thunder Street Socks? Okay, now we're, now we're talking. Than anyone else's. <laughs> now we're talking. I love Tom, by the way. He's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what is the best race you've ever seen as a fan? Oh, Jesus Christ. You guys are we're, we're hurting them tonight. You guys are making this tough. I got a shitty memory, too. One of the best races. Boy. Take your time. I can edit it out the gap. Yeah. So. <laughs> now you got to leave this in because we said it. <laughs> you guys had to give me homework. You should have hurt me- himself back. He's rubbing his eyes. and. Yeah, but Justin's got such a good memory, right? My memory is shit. Me, I don't fucking know. Um, that I've watched on my own. Fuck, I don't know. Um, I mean, there's been some damn good races with, remember, watching Rashad come from the back, pass a shitload of cars, win some good races. I've watched Brian Hoare do some amazing things. How about this? I got one. Brian actually touched on it, so maybe that's why it's in my memory bank. Uh, It's right towards the front. One of the most impressive things, how about this? Maybe not be the best race. One of the most impressive things I've ever seen is that same night at White Mountain tour race when Gene Paul Sear with a destroyed race car yes. came from the back and finished third. Yes. I was there that night in the pits. I literally watched that car sit in the infield for three, three heat races because they thought it was destroyed. They finally dragged it into the pits. They completely rebuilt the car. And the fucking guy went from last to finish third and passed everybody and made him look stupid. That was the most impressive thing I think I saw ever at a racetrack. And he, and passed, like, he passed like 15 cars on the B feature too to get in. Yes, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. And, uh, I think there's been some international, what, the international 5,000 there where like Nick Sweet and, and Patrick LaPearl, yeah. that, that, that was amazing. Some good racing. So yeah, it's been some good ones. Just my memory is shit. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right, let's not go from the memory. Let's try a different part of the brain. Uh, what race that you haven't won do you still want to win? So there's probably two races that, well, let's do three. At Thunder Road, I have not won the midseason track championship. Double point night, that's a big one. I'd like to win that just because it means a lot for the points battle stuff. The the new uh, midsummer 250 at White Mountain, mm. we finished top three every time they've had it, but have not won it. So that's a big one, and it's also been ten thousand to win. So that'd be a, a good one to win for our team. And um, lastly, the uh, the Oxford 250. And do I expect the Oxford 250 to be actual reality? I don't know. Probably not. Um, you know, I'm don't have a lot of experience in super late models, but um, I think we are possibly going to um, try it this year um, with our super late model. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that we'll even qualify for the show, um, but it's a dream. Um, It's definitely something where um, it would be really neat um, if we could, we could get that one Um, again, nothing I actually probably expect to happen considering how, tough that division is and how good everybody in that division is at Oxford. But um, that would be, that would be cool. Well, Derek Lynch pretty much said he wasn't expected to do anything and he, he, and he, he walked away with a win. 
Right? Well, and you guys, you guys qualified a late model into the field a few years ago too. See, you got a good memory. Yes, we did. Yeah, 2015, we converted our ACT car um, to a to a super late model. Got a really good draw. Uh, go figure. And um, and yeah, we we ended up starting seventh for the Oxford 250, and I think about 40 laps in, we got spun and didn't get a caution and went a bunch of laps down and then got spun again. And, but yeah, so anyways, we made the race. It was a cool experience, had zero expectations going into that weekend that we would even be competitive or even make the show. And we were competitive and made the show. Um, just got really crazy tight in the feature and then got ran over. So it happens, but it was a really cool experience and be really neat to, to go back with a real super late model. Before we let you go, and these aren't necessarily our quick hitters, but I, I got two things that I think, you know, maybe people would be interested in. One, what do you do for work? I uh, supervise the parts department at Milton Cat, which is a heavy equipment dealer for uh, Caterpillar. It's a big operation, too. Yeah, there's a lot going on. A lot of machinery there. Um, yeah, we're the only uh, only cat dealer in the state of Vermont. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a busy place. And, uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's 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 fun has its days it pays okay. the and then one thing i noticed just before we went to air here you were moving around in the shop and i saw a guitar mounted on the wall do you play hell no <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the story there then that's a cardboard one that's not even oh come on yeah it's not even real it's something oh. where he was drunk and handed it to me i said shit let's put it on the wall I don't know. I just got knickknacks all over the place. This is just my, my home garage. I got nothing in here other than I got a bar and some race car panels. And, and more importantly, I got beer. So that's all in here. So. All, right, all right. Unbelievable. <laughs> Jason, thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate good, it. Good luck this year, man. Thanks. Thank you again to Jason Corliss for giving us his time and his clearly very excited to get back to the season at Thunder Road and I left in a good amount of pauses and thinking that were involved in our quick hitter questions this week if only it was visual but what you don't know is I took out a lot of pauses and some cursing Maybe someday, maybe next week, who knows? Maybe we'll just put up the unedited quick hitters <laughs> from Jason Corliss. Uncommon deeds after hours. Because, oh man, <laughs> he had a meltdown. He really did. He was, <laughs> and he was stressing right out about and it. We're very grateful that Jason listens to our podcast. Yeah. And he was our first subscriber on, on Anchor. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I believe he's a fan of our podcast. Yeah, yeah. So he was fully prepared to answer our original <laughs> quick hitter three questions. Yeah. And as soon as we said we we're changing it, you could see the look on his face. He was fully prepared. Uh, I might post. I took a screenshot of it. <laughs> I might post that because good God. It hurt him. It hurt him. He hurt his brain. Yeah. You know what hurt me this week? Coffee cup bakery shutting down. What is, what the hell is that? I don't know, but it's like, Hey, 
they make good stuff and that's all great, but it's not like freaking toilet paper or water with the amount of people blitzing stores to get every, every last one that's left over. Well, you say that, but I went out and bought a six pack of maple glazed donuts this morning because. Right. But like, end. I've seen pictures like people with shopping carts trying to. Oh get, yeah. Stupid. Like, they're crawlers. Everyone has them. I don't know. I grew up on coffee cup donuts, which probably explains a lot, but yeah. <laughs> it's a little sidebar. That is, uh, um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. Jason Corliss. <laughs> Jason Corliss. No. And listen, good luck to him at Thunder Road on Sunday. Um, and it's going to be, you know, we need, we need this year to feel normal and it's starting to go that way. And I don't want to get off into the COVID talk and the politics and the drama and all that shit, but we just, you know, it looks like this is going to be a good year for racing. And, um, I'm excited that this weekend is shaping up, um, for, you know, we talked about the top of the show for me at devil's bowl and for a lot of you at thunder road, it's let's do this thing. Yeah. Hopefully it will in fact be a good year. Cause I'm tired of how it's gone. <laughs> Boy, I hit my drum roll button, but I hadn't, I didn't turn up the, uh, the levels, but I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a BF good rich joke. I don't know what I'm talking about. Lots of puns. Who's your, who's your pun get? Never mind. Um, listen, next week, <laughs> next week's show, Tom is, we talked about setting the bar high. Who oh boy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we'll be able to top this one. I think let's just say this person, like I might give it away a little bit, but this is someone who had a freaking movie made about them. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you listen to this, hint, an Oscar nominated movie. <laughs> yeah. If you listen to that hint, plus the silhouette, Justin puts up, Monday morning, yeah. you should yeah. be able to, I hope that you can figure it out, but it was, it was really cool. So and neat. This person pulled zero punches. Yeah. Had zero Fs to give. Yep. It was, it was so much more. And we worked for like six weeks at this one. Um, we tried hard for this one and it finally came together. And it was, you know, we were, we were, uh, super, uh, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but just kind of like giddy about it. And it way over delivered from what we were expecting. Um, we were expecting a lot and it, it ended up being so much more than that. And I'm super grateful that we're still getting so much time from these people yeah. that don't need to give us as much time as they're giving us. Right. I'd Jason, like for them to keep giving us that time. Jason Corliss gave us two hours, uh, you know, and there was no need for him to do that. It was, you know, it was the middle of the night. And we um, had some technical issues. Yep. Which we didn't talk about at the beginning because it, it really gets tiring on our part when we have, some little issues here and there with audio to keep bringing it up. Yeah. But, you know, he worked with us. He had some internet issues. 
we worked around it and got still got a solid whatever it was hour 45 of content yeah. from him yeah and then and, was worried and, and like because, and we know jason like and he still didn't have to give us that amount of time yeah and we joked around on last week's episode about the audio issues with this week's episode just almost like a parody of ourselves just at this point we're we're really getting after ourselves trying to make fun of ourselves cuz yeah. it gets frustrating on our part cuz we're trying to put out you know the best quality possible mm-hmm. and in this era of doing everything through zoom or a phone call there's just little variables here and there and you're recording with people who are using Wi-Fi on a rainy night in a garage mm-hmm. and you can have some issues, but we joked about it. Then immediately by like eight o'clock Friday morning, cause he listens to our podcast first thing Friday morning on his yes. drive into work. Yep. Was real worried about it and offered to let's do it again. Yeah. Let's do I'll it again, again this week. I'll record again. If it sounds that bad, let's do it again. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's fine. But yeah, next week's guest gave us a lot of time and we're appreciative of that. And fingers crossed people keep giving us this time and are continue to really be happy to talk about these stories. Just, I don't know. I mean, do we even deserve next week's interview? <laughs> I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so too. We're We're doing, I think we're doing a pretty good job here, but. It just, it's so, this one is so far out of uh, the norm for what we do. Not Monster Jam out of. No, it's not. But, you know, we've never even said anything about this discipline of motorsports coming up. Um, So to go from literally not talking about it to the top, uh, it's pretty, pretty humbling. Yeah. Oh, also before we before we wrap up here, congratulations once again, Jason and his wife. On yeah. The new addition awesome. coming to the family and Yeah. I don't know if that was already out there or not. Because I or don't is this breaking news. Or if we broke some news. Yeah. I uh I don't have the time in my life to stock people's Facebooks for the most part. So I don't know if (laughs) everyone already knew and we're just feeling super excited and we're actually the last ones to know, (laughs) but congratulations. Everybody knew three months ago and we're just finding out calling it. uh, Congratulations to them. As for us, make sure to subscribe, five star reviews, all that good stuff for the podcast. Follow us on all the socials on common deeds on the Facebook and Twitter, Uncommon Deeds Podcast on the Instagram. The Instagram. Mm-hmm. And we love you for it. Absolutely. Keep on sharing. Keep on sending us comments. We have, we have people messaging us who are reaching out to other people to potentially be on our show. Yeah. Uh, two in the last 24 hours before we're, we recorded this. And there's another one that I haven't told you about. Well, and one of them I haven't told you about. So, yeah. Ooh, I look forward to when we yeah, stop breaking news to each one. other. So thank you so much. 
as we say every week, for keeping on with us and gives us the opportunity to keep growing and hopefully big things coming for us yeah. in the uh, in the future, which will lead to good things for you guys. Yeah. I think so. For now, though, enjoy the weekend. Get out to the racetracks, whether it's dirt or asphalt. I don't care. Just go see a race and feel normal and enjoy it. That's right. And uh, you've been listening to Uncommon Deeds.